Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And And you're you're about about to to get get jumped. jumped. Welcome to episode 98 of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. But you should still totally watch the anime. This week on Get Jumped, we're watching Soul Eater episodes 26 through 29, where golems are people too, spiders can live inside you for 800 years, and there's a snake inside that dog. Oh my god, the sentence, spiders can live inside of you for 800 years, is so horrifying, I cannot move past it. It's just like, well, in case you were wondering, there's a there's a show called Blacklist that's out there right now, and there's a couple of episodes where people are just poisoned by being injected they're like food injected with horrible monster beetles that like explode out of you and i was like just like the mummy oh it's it's sort of like that it's it's awful but it that just reminded me of it and i just needed everybody to know that anyways let's jump in I liked that. It was so like less less of like a joke and more of just like a personal anecdote. <laughs> yeah, just this terrible thing that I saw in the show that I watched. Yeah, I, <laughs> that sounds more supernatural than what I thought the blacklist was. Not that it is oh, yeah. necessarily. It's supernatural, not supernatural but... at all. It's completely non supernatural. There's nothing supernatural about it, which is like what makes this episode so like eerie. And also like their CGI effects on it are like not perfect so my wife was just like that's gross but also like looks cheap (laughs) (laughs) um anyways i guess sometimes you uh, can have it both ways yeah so uh we have a a couple of things to to go over today before we get started basically we got uh um blake giving himself some comeuppance and uh we got some comeuppance from a fan (laughs) Uh, also, the new Galarian form of Ponyta has been announced. My oh horn my can pierce the sky. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah. So I made a dumb mistake, which uh, was that I said that this week we were doing Naruto. So at the end of the most recent episode you listened, uh, you will hear us talk about how we're going to watch Naruto this week. And that was a lie. We're going to watch Naruto next week. (laughs) This week we're watching soul eater. And the way that I have this laid out on the spreadsheet, I sincerely don't know how I made this mistake. (laughs) Like it's pretty visually clear which episode is next. And I somehow just skipped to the one after that. And uh, so sorry for the confusion. I definitely figured it out when I started watching the Naruto episodes. And then I was like, wait, we haven't watched Soul Eater yet. And that was on Sunday when our show was published. So Spencer was going to take it down and take out the end. And I just figured that it would be easier to tell you an apology on the air. So sorry for misleading you you're really excited about that Naruto episode, you have an entire full more week to experience the feeling of excitement. So that's nice. (laughs) The other thing uh, that we got an update on was from one of our awesome fans online. Um, There were actually two of them that, that made this comment after listening to the episode. Um, So the, the first one was on uh, Facebook. Um, Somebody just like quickly mentioned on there that there are two sisters in the Zolduck family. Um, and, uh, then I got a long breakdown from Brady Johnson that was actually really interesting. Um, so, uh, he said, let's do uh, context real quick. Okay, sure. On our most recent episode where I made this mistake with Naruto, we also made another mistake during our coverage of the show we were talking about, which is Hunter X Hunter, um, Mm -hmm. or Hunter Hunter, if you're really sensitive. Um, and Basically, there is a character on there named Killua. He has a large family of assassins. One of his sisters plays a pretty major role in an upcoming miniature arc. And one of his, it turns out, other sisters was uh, in the episodes. And we were debating whether or not it was the same character because it sure didn't seem like it. I thought it was because I thought that he only had the one younger sister and also that the name was the same as the name of the sister that's going to be important in the near future. Spencer did not think it was, and we asked for help from the fans who have clarified that Spencer was correct. 
Well, they actually gave us a really interesting breakdown of it. So um, they said that uh, I was correct that the Zolduck at the end of the series is different from the one that joins the spiders. And then he also said uh, also Kaluto, um, the one who joins the spider, is actually male. And Aluka is sort of ambiguous, perhaps uh, like perhaps trans or something else, because Alumi and Maluki... Um, are also uh, use male pronouns and Kilawa uses female when we're referring to Aluka. It is also possible that there might be another translation thing regarding uh, Aluka similar similar to Corona from Soul Eater, which we've been so over a lot. So if you're curious, yes. listen to some of our previous Soul Eater episodes. Yeah, so it it seems like the 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 Zolduk family is like more you know intensely broken apart than we originally thought. Um, but I, I, I'm glad to have like a breakdown from somebody who, who, uh, you know, is, is trying to update us on it. And as we've said before, we're, you know, we're never perfect on, uh, putting out this kind of stuff. We're rarely perfect. We, we come, we come from a place of being, uh, two people just talking about the show that we watch, um, and less from a place of knowledge. Uh, so if you have some thoughts on that, or if you have con- conflicting, um, information, we are really interested to always hear about that. Especially because, like, we, you know, we do a lot of things, and one of them is loving anime, but the other thing is that, you know, we don't, we don't spend time being, like, anime historians or, um, people that, uh, like, completely break down these shows or have, like, um, obsessively read into, uh, the manga or something like that. Yeah, so we are if not... you are one of those people that's, like, a super fan of a show and we are doing something misjusticed, we want to know and we want to point it out on the show so that we can make amends to it. Yeah, we are not the sort of stereotypical otaku who only watches anime all the time, lives and breathes anime, reads all the articles, reads all the, the wikis you know, digs into the backstory and stuff. Um, we clearly do know some of that stuff, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll find it periodically, but I don't spend a ton of time on it. And I think Spencer's kind of the same way. I know Spencer watches more anime and I think more TV in general than I do. Um, and we both watch more anime than we talk about on the show, but we're definitely not as laser focused as, uh, a lot of people in the community are on the genre or on these specific shows. And we really like it when you guys talk to us. So I gotta, I will admit that I have thought, uh, especially when I listen to Jay and Miles explain the X-Men, which is the single largest inspiration for us to do the show that we are doing now. Like I wanted to do a podcast and I wanted it to be kind of similar to that. And that is how we came up with the concept of this show. And they are really knowledgeable and they do a ton of research. And sometimes I'm listening to them and I get jealous slash embarrassed that we don't do more research. But I will say that I really want you guys to interact with us and us not knowing things like that time that we didn't know that all the characters in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure are named after bands. Uh, And having fans correct us or update us or provide additional information really kind of makes my day. So uh, I will admit that I have thought about doing more research and have decided against it in lieu of having you guys tell us uh, in arrears, the things that we didn't get right uh, or could have gotten more right. So, you know, you don't like that. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. I'm also sort of of the belief. I have a couple of things that I do this with. One of them is, uh, Magic the Gathering pre-releases, and the other one is um, the anime universe. Um, I like to get my information when I stumble upon it or uh, find it. I hate doing research on it. Um, and with Magic the Gathering, I hate doing research on that, especially with pre-releases of sets, because it's one of those things where it's just like, you need to be super ready to go into this tournament when you're going to be playing at, you know, at midnight or whenever you're going to play this, uh, this new set. And I'm like, no, that's not the the thing that makes me the most excited about it. The thing that makes me most excited about it is having things that literally come out of nowhere that I didn't know existed and just being like, oh, that's what's happening inside of this. Yeah. So it's kind of like Christmas morning when you get to open a present. It's like uh, it's like the new Pokemon games. Every time there's a new Pokemon game, I'm at once very excited to see any information about it and also hoping that there's a lot of new information that I will discover on my own. 
So I try to resist looking at the entire Pokedex when it gets leaked and definitely resist pouring over it and trying to memorize everything that's there. And then I try not to look up a lot of stuff about the game so that I can experience it firsthand. So I think we're both kind of that way where the discovery is part of the joy of it. So um, that definitely bleeds into the way that we do this show. Yeah. Anyways. Um, I think that's all of our comeuppance that we had to go over. I think so, but, too. Um, um, with that being said, let's go ahead and just jump into these episodes. Uh, yeah, so we are doing Soul Eater this week. We're about halfway through Soul Eater, and there has been a major shift in the uh, plot recently. So uh, at its core, Soul Eater is a super stylized kind of science fantasy uh maybe maybe just fantasy uh story about uh partner teams of characters one of which is a uh meister which is short for a weapons meister um that's basically someone who fights with a weapon and the special thing is that the weapon is also a person who can turn themselves into some type of you know battling implement so they form these um powerful teams and most of our main characters are students at a school called the dwma which is basically where you learn to be a better weapon and meister team um it's kind of like hogwarts where they teach you to be wizards except here they teach you how to fight better in order to take out a horrible corrupted spirits that are basically demons and um evil witches um the main characters in the story are a girl named Maka. She wields her friend Soul, who turns into a giant scythe. Um, she's particularly good at sensing wavelengths, which is basically the, the sort of quality and power of your spirit in this world and is really important to how strong you are, as well as to how good of a combination you make with your partners. Um, they are friends with a character named Blackstar, who's the best character in all of anime. Blackstar is like uh, Naruto, but not really annoying, uh, way more pompous and actually good at things from the get-go. Uh, Blackstar is a ninja, and his weapon companion is a girl named Subaki, who is very kind of like quiet, subdued um, character. And she is pretty unique because instead of turning into one thing, she can turn into a series of different ninja weapons. So she can turn herself into a sword or a shuriken or a smoke bomb and all kinds of different stuff. Um, they There's another main character that I'm not going to talk about because he's not relevant in these episodes. But um, there is a new main character who used to be a primary antagonist. That's a character named Krona. We mentioned them at the beginning of the show. They are a explicitly, intentionally gender ambiguous in Japanese, they are apparently not given gender to pronouns. In the English version, both the dub and the sub, they tend to be given his. So I'm I usually will revert to them for Krona, but uh, we also might call Krona him, and occasionally might call Krona her because Krona is very uh, sort of stereotypically fem- feminine. So just bear with us and know that Krona is uh, a main character whose weapon is pretty unique as well because the weapon is actually their own blood. They have black blood, and that black blood is animated and sentient and is called Ragnarok and can form a series of different things but usually appears as a sword that can also emit a piercing screech that can immobilize enemies. Krona is really, really sensitive because they had a really terrible upbringing, so everything terrifies them, and they often kind of curl up in a ball in a corner. But Maka recently kind of showed compassion to Krona and allowed Krona to have a friend and a good experience, and so Krona has come around to the good guy's side and has a particular affection for Maka. Um... The villains of the story up until recently were Medusa, who is a witch with snake-like powers. She was presumably killed in the last, at the end of the most recent arc. Um, And she was killed in her attempt to revive a horrible demon named Asura. Asura is a pretty ancient being 
and um, sort of went crazy and decided that his thing was going to be making everybody else crazy too. So he's a super powerful evil force and his presence now that he has been reawakened is causing a creeping madness to slowly seep out into the world. We haven't seen a huge effect on the general population yet, but we know that that will eventually be an effect of him being alive. What it has caused is that a lot of the villains have had a sort of revitalization. They've become more powerful. They can tell he's back and they are starting to mobilize. And I think that's everything that brings us to episode 26. Yeah, so that's going to take us to today. Um, these episodes, uh, just so you know, this is when um, Soul Eater is going to take like a um, a hard turn from a really great show to a fantastic, fantastic show. Um, it's it, the turn that it makes inside of the show. I I hold is like the best episodes of the shows that are coming up, and I love all of Soul Eater almost. Um, completely. I have like very few episodes that I actively dislike. Um, but I am, uh, I am, you know, not the same as everybody else in believing that soul eater, the second part is better than the first part. Cause a lot of people hold that their favorite part about it is when it kind of feels more Hogwartsy before everybody starts running around the world and starts doing world building. I am way more fascinated with what is happening inside of this weird alternate reality with like a smiling sun and moon that are panting in the sky and stuff. Um, and we're going to get like way more into that. And the, First thing that we're going to get from this is in episode 26, the exciting and embarrassing trial enrollment. The DWMA new lifestyle support fair is open. Um, so <laughs> titles. this, this episode, we are going to go into our first like weird town um, with like uh, uh, with people that do not trust or want the DWMA and they also know about them and you don't really know why they know about them until the next episode, but we'll get into that. Um, We have a few things to hit before they get into the town. Uh, One of them mm -hmm. is that one of the teachers, Skynim Stein, he is designed based off of Frankenstein um, and has been a main character up until this point. He's kind of a mad scientist, but he's on the side of the good guys. Unfortunately, he has been affected pretty strongly by the insanity wave that has emanated out from Asura's resurrection. Uh, Namely, Stein has a sort of constant desire bubbling under the surface to dissect living things out of, I guess, a sort of morbid scientific curiosity. Uh, He has now found himself fighting these urges constantly, and he is also talking to uh, what seems to be a hallucination of the witch Medusa, who is tempting him to give in to his urges and join the side of evil. Yeah. So, um, the other thing that's going to be happening is that Corona is going to be accepted, um, which is really great. Um, I am excited because Corona gets to join the school and gets to become uh, a part of the the schooling with the rest of the Meisters and weapons. And have um, some really and- nice character growth. Yes. And one of my favorite things that is going to happen inside of this, um, is that there's going to be a joke at the very beginning of it where they, um, they're bringing them in and, uh, uh, wait, is this the part where they, they read the poem as there that at the very end? Oh, I can't remember if that's this episode or if that's later. Uh, but let's oh. just talk about it now. Okay, so there's going to be one of the funniest jokes that I've seen on the show yet, where um, they have like an assignment to write down a, a poem, and so Corona writes one, and every person that reads it gets like really upset, and they're just like, "Oh, there's no point to life." Um, and then yeah, like it's basically the, like, the, "Oh, it can't be that bad," and then it cuts to <laughs> that person being, de- you know, destroyed also. Yeah, and like my favorite one is like uh, um, after everybody's done it, including Black Star, um, Corona also goes over there, and Corona's just like, "Yeah, I get it, everybody like this." And then it cuts over to uh, it cuts over to Sid, and Sid's like, "I wish I never came back to life." And they're like, "Where did you come from?" 
So Corona is basically at the beginning of this episode cowering in their room and unable to bring themselves to come out because everything is scary and horrible. And the the, the people of the school, particularly Sid, who, if we haven't made that clear already, and if you don't know who that is, Sid was a teacher who was alive at the beginning of the series, but was very quickly killed and then reanimated as a zombie. So he is a zombie walking around the, the halls of the school, and he's totally nice and pretty cool, and he's a teacher here, but also Krona's afraid of everything already, and this is a zombie. So they are not having a lot of luck getting Krona out of their room. Yeah. Um, the The next thing that is going to really break apart this episode is when they get sent on their mission. Wait, um, wait, they have to get so- Krona out of the room. I was teeing you up. <laughs> No, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> okay, so Maka goes to get Krona out of the room because they know that Maka was nice to Krona, and Krona reluctantly goes, and then they show Krona around the school, and it there's this sort of funny sequence of Krona being afraid of everything but following along with them. And then mm. they're like, okay, well, we're going to send you two on a mission together. Okay, finally, we can Jesus. go to Chainsaw Foot. Pick up what I'm putting down. <laughs> I'm ready to go to Chainsaw Foot. Um, anyways, um, so, uh, we get into this town and this is the thing that I've been wanting to talk about since we started recording this episode. So this world that they have like stepped onto the shores of is a really cool built part of the universe, which is everybody seems to be, you know, kind of like, kind of like in nowadays times, it's, it's like time is nowadays times. (laughs) nowadays times or like present present time um so it's like you know the there there are cell phones there are like skateboards there are things like this that are out in the world but you know how they made cell phones and skateboards in the same year and it was recently oh my god you're the fucking worst right now (laughs) anyways (laughs) so they they um they they have like this weirdly technolo- technologically advanced and magically uh, advanced city um, that is out uh, that they have to uh, go around and look at. And the people inside of the city are wearing these long, like, uh, they look like they're burlap gloves that they're wearing or leather gloves that they're wearing that have like this big giant um, screw that's through the center of them. Um, and they talk about how the people inside of this village have made their money by creating these, um, like sentient, like, or senti- sentient or semi sentient, um, golems that will walk around and do work for people out of stone or out of metal. Um, and so they actually have a golem that was created a long time ago, one of the oldest golems in the village, and it is rampaging. So they need to go ahead and take care of it. And they can immediately sense that the people inside of the village do not want the DWMA here, which is like a complete change from what we've seen so far, where they've been on like these singular missions to basically like Kingdom Hearts lands where, you know, there's one villain to fight and Heartless everywhere, you know? Yeah. And also, if you at home don't quite know what a golem is, uh, it shows up a lot in anime, but uh, this is a fairly traditional representation of a golem, although it will get turned on its head here in a second. Mm -hmm. So golems in general are um, basically humanoid creatures made of stone or clay that have become animated, but don't don't have a sort of life of their own in the sense of like human humans. Like they don't have a soul. They don't have really free will. (laughs) They're kind of automatons. What did you say? You said humans, but you said it like too long. So it's human. I am also Um, human. Yeah. Anyways. Um, so the, uh, the person that's been leading them through this village is this guy that has like a nose ring through, um, and he is, uh, kind of, uh, shady it seems a little bit um like he knows more than what he's letting on um and it turns out that the reason he does is because he is a villain who has been passing down his own life energy through his like offspring and uh over and over again through uh wh- how long did he say like 30 generations of people yeah something um, like to that get to it, this point we will find that it, it's about 800 years worth of generations Mm-hmm. Um, this guy is named Giriko, and yes, yeah, he's great. 
Yeah, he's pretty cool. I, I like so I kind of very quick side note, you were talking about how the second half of Soul Eater is way better and a lot of people don't necessarily agree about that. And uh for me, the first half of Soul Eater I remember pretty well and the second half I don't. I think it's yep. because the plot becomes a little bit more complicated. Um and I've only watched it once and it's been many years. So I don't really remember what my reaction was. And I did not remember this guy, but he's super cool. Oh yeah. He's going to be great. He, his ability is that he is a, uh, a Meister and weapon combined. He can fight on his own and he knows how to, um, he reveals that his, uh, weapon that he can convert himself and parts of himself into is a chainsaw. And he is going to fight along with this golem by turning into a giant chainsaw and being wielded by this golem. When Maka starts to get into a fight with the golem, the, she's going to realize that this golem should not have a soul and it should not be possessed by something, but she can sense like a massive aura that is, uh, we can see from her viewing the aura shape like a giant spider um and that's going to take us into episode 27 800 years of bloodlust advent of the heretic witch yeah um, maka is kind of getting her ass kicked by the golem it's just oh yeah really big really strong and the chainsaw it's hard to beat because it's vibrating it's slicing through things and that combined with the like very high amount of physical strength that the golem possesses she's being defeated so mm-hmm. krona is going to step in to help out yeah krona is not going to be doing much better though uh krona is going to be able to keep up a little bit um but uh um he, he they're basically just going to be able to keep the golem at bay a little bit because even um with the hardening skills that Krona has with the black blood technique um they are not going to be able to completely stop the cut and it's going to like you you see like black blood spill out and then harden um and Krona saying that like you know they're not going to be able to completely challenge this um and so uh they decide to attack at the same time uh maka cuts into the side of the golem the golem spills open and shoots out spiderweb all over maka and it in, uh it paralyzes her yeah and it seems like it's actually maybe like a magic spiderweb or a spell that is stylized to look like spiderweb because they talk later on how she has been enchanted or put under a spell that basically paralyzes her um this of course leaves her super vulnerable and she's already standing right next to the golem but i think before they attack her we're going to have a pretty fateful revival. And uh, yeah. a little earlier in the episode, right at the, st- at the top, we'll see Stein again, who is continuing to struggle against his worst urges. Uh, but he will realize that the golem they have sent um, Maka and Krona to fight is probably where this horrible witch from a long time ago named Arachne is hiding. He is going to call on Lord Death, who is the super powerful headmaster of the school, and is like, shit, we messed up. We sent these two kids to go fight this hundreds-year-old witch, and they are way outclassed by that. And Lord Death is like, I understand. It's okay. I realize this might be a problem, and I have made arrangements. Yeah, the arrangements are to send Justin Long to the fight. Justin is also a weapon that can fight without a Meister. Um, He is incredibly powerful and really cool and a little bit obnoxious to people, um, especially to his his villains that he is fighting. (laughs) Yeah, he's what's called a death scythe, which does not mean that he is a scythe. It's just a title for a weapon that has achieved a sort of higher level of power. You have to do a specific series of actions to achieve that level and he is uh noted as i think the youngest person ever to achieve that Mm -hmm. yeah so his his ability is that he can turn into different kinds of guillotines um he uh he starts fighting um with uh, giriko and um in the middle of the fight with Giriko, Arachne is going to be reawakened from this golem. And it turns out that her, her body was split into many, many spiders and spread throughout the planet where she has basically been watching people for 800 years and seeing what's happening. 
while her soul has been locked inside of this golem waiting for a time when it would have enough power to reawaken. That time is now because the Kinshin has been awakened um, and that release of madness energy has given her enough power to re uh, re-enter her own body. Yeah, and Giriko is like her loyal uh, side uh, sidekick, basically. So he's been... Mm-hmm kind of waiting for her to come back and making sure that nobody came around and figured out that she was in there. Um, mm-hmm. Justin is going to fight them, and his uh, his power is that he's a guillotine and he can turn different parts of his body into blades and fight people with it. His other power is that he's an asshole and he never takes his headphones out of his ears <laughs> and he's always listening to music. And he is... Um, Very pious. Yeah, and he can hear you uh, he, he is like me at a store. I can hear you, but I'm pretending not to because I don't want to interact. So yes. he's like, he can read lips even if he can't hear you. So he knows what people are saying, but he ignores them. And then later on, he like reveals that he can read lips. And Giriko's like, wait, so you just fucking ignored me earlier? <laughs> Yes, exactly. Um, he's going to get into a badass quick fight uh, between Garrico um, and uh, and Justin. Um, it is going to leave uh, when Garrico and Arachne are going to uh, flee and leave the golem to um, fight against Justin. Justin promptly kills it by cutting off its head. Um, and then they uh, they have this great moment at the end where Maka's still paralyzed, but on the way there, Justin was just like, I, I brought uh, one coffin, hopefully that'll be enough. And because Maka's paralyzed, she has to be carried home, and he puts her in the coffin, and then Krona's just like, I brought you pretty flowers, and just starts raining flowers over Maka. Yeah. She's just like, do you have to do this? Do I have to go home in a coffin like I'm a dead person? <laughs> Um, yeah, they so, even like they even like ignore her at some parts. And she's uh-huh. just like, is anyone paying attention to me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're definitely like it's a sort of like extended comedic sequence where they're acting as though she's dead, even though she's not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and one thing I like also about the fight that ended is that Arachne and Giriko pull back, and it's it's a little unclear in a way that I really enjoyed whether they were pulling back because they had deduced that they could not win the fight. And I would say that my interpretation was that they thought they probably could win, but that it was going to be a long and maybe costly fight. Um, I didn't get the impression that they, they were confident that they could win, but I got the impression that Arachne was basically ready to get, to the business of being back in the world of the living and making her plans move forward and was more interested in that than the fight. And so it was more advantageous to leave the golem behind to finish things up one way or the other. And it didn't really matter whether or not the golem was killed because she had more important things to do. And I like that because it, it leaves it ambiguous as to how strong she is and how strong Justin is. Yeah. So this this also gets us to like our final point of the episode, which is that Arachne is going to arrive back at her base. Um, she's going to meet up with her servant Mosquito. Um, he is also a witch um, and uh, he is kind of like her little tiny witch butler. And um, I love and he- the character designs in this goddamn show. They are so good. Yeah, and uh, they're going to meet up there with their group of supporters that they've been building for like 800 years, and they're called the Arachnophobia. Um, they're a bunch of like uh, faceless people that are covered in masks and like long hoods that cover most of their body. Um, they have great character design, and uh, they are going to be the faceless mask that we are going to see more of in episode 28, The Sword God Rises. Does it have a sweet or salty taste? Um, so... This starts off with uh, Stein having a, a a brief bout of madness where he is hallucinating Medusa talking to him. Yeah, she is going to keep taunting him and trying to twist him over to the side of the villains. And he basically is going to admit that he's really struggling against this and that he always wants to dissect living people. 
and that it's gotten worse. But part of the reason that he's training is to basically strengthen his soul um, to to kind of center himself, strengthen his resolve, and make sure that he does not descend into madness and do this terrible thing. Yeah. Meanwhile, Arachnophobia is des- designing a uh, a world-ending device, basically in a lair. Um, so the it, uh, it device looks itself... like an old-timey electric chair, where it's like a seat with one of those dome hats on, or like one of those things where people, like women, go to get blowouts or whatever. It looks like that. Yeah. But that it also kind of looks like a spiky shell from uh, that you would throw at the f- person who's in first place in Mario Kart. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, but uh, anyways, apparently it is something that was built to alter mankind's morality so they, they will be easier to control with madness. Yeah, they, um, they have and- this interesting philosophical discussion where they're like, the reason that insanity is possible is because mankind has morality. If they did not have a moral compass, they couldn't go insane because insanity is like a diversion from that morality. But mm-hmm. if I use this machine to alter the morality of mankind, that will uh, speed up the sort of insanity collapse of society because the alteration of morality will basically, like, it shifting will sort of, you know, empower insanity, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And apparently it was created from this thing called the Book of Eben. Avon, right? I think is how they pronounced it. Because I wrote it down as A-V-O-N at first, which is like a makeup company. And then I had to look yeah. up how it was spelled. You know, the Book of Avon. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, um, so uh, we're then going to find out that uh, Sin and uh, Nigis, uh, I think is how she's pronounced. They said um, Nigus in the dub. Okay. Well, they are sent, that is his weapon. Um, are sent to destroy this this contraption, and Blackstar overhears them talking about it, and is just like, you know what? I'm itching for a fight. I need to go fight. Um, I want to go do this. Um, and I want to um basically give back uh you know all of the pent up anger he has for one of his friends being paralyzed by this person, um and so he is going to tag along. They don't know this. Um, they uh go and uh break into the space with this really cool ability that one of the other death sites has. Um, uh, so uh, I cannot remember her name. I can't um, either, and I didn't write it down. Yeah. I don't know if they said it during this. Well. She's one of the death size. Her ability is that she can resonate with somebody and then she can um, she can use their soul resonance to basically extend it into the area around them and draw out a map. Yeah, um, she's kind of like sonar, but she has to yeah. emanate from a person that she can resonate with. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, so she does that and gives a layout of the base. So Sid and um, his weapon are able to run in and destroy this machine and set yeah, up. Yeah, but there's um, a ridiculous and, moment, at least yeah. in the dub, where Sid runs in, sees this electric chair blowout spiky shell thing, and immediately is like, it looks like a machine whose purpose is to alter the morality of all mankind. And I'm like, do you see a lot of those, Sid? <laughs> picked that out all at once from just a glance oh this is a plot machine i guess it was here to push the plot forward <laughs> it's there to do the thing exactly as i said it even though that yeah. doesn't make any fucking sense and i should just be able to get away with saying it looks bad and i should break it but <laughs> yeah. nope anyways um, so, uh, Sid is going to think that he is going to be caught though, but it turns out that the person that they actually have caught is Blackstar who has arrived and is just beating the Christ out of people up front. Um, we actually see a couple of moments where he like punches one of the Arachne in the face and then breaks his neck and it's just like, Oh, he's just mur- straight murdering people. Yeah. Um, he is, and- uh, it, it was a moment where I was like, Oh yeah, he's a ninja. <laughs> Yeah, and then um, the the fight that we really came here to see is going to start between um, Mifune and Blackstar. Uh, Mifune is there because he is still protecting his young witch counterpart, um, and uh, because he um, he loves children and he wants to make sure that nobody hurts children, um, he has to stay with this young witch because otherwise there is no way that the world is not going to kill her because... 
um, witches carry around power, and uh, they're going to want to kill her no matter what. Yeah, um, and as so a child witch, that... she's too trusting and powerless. <clears throat> yeah, um, so yeah. there's he, no he way she's going to stand for herself. Huh? I think it was like episode two. It was, yeah. The second episode, it was our first episode of Soul Eater coverage, if you're curious and you don't remember who he is. Basically, he is a really strong swordsman, and the other trait is that he wants to protect children because they're defenseless and is super not okay with people that want to hurt children. And he can mm-hmm. be manipulated into doing bad things if the uh, you know cost of not doing them is that a kid is hurt, which is kind of how he has come under the employment of the arachnophobia organization. Yeah. And Mosquito is actually going to say a whole bunch of kind of like play on his heartstrings about this because he, he like stops himself a couple of times and he's just like, well, black stars, a kid too. So I'm not going to be able to fight full out. And he's just like, anyways. Okay. So um, I was going to say that Mifune has, he almost in a really weird way reminded me of Hisoka in this moment. Um, Hisoka is a character from Hunter x Hunter who has a really disturbing uh, interest in Gon, our protagonist, who is a 12-year-old kid. He uh, he gets sexually aroused by Gon, but it's not pedophilia. It is a far... a, a sort of warped interest in being able to fight someone in the future. That is his whole motivation, is that he wants to fight the strongest character, and he becomes so excited by that prospect that it sort of morphs into a sexual arousal. And with Gone, he can tell that this kid has a lot of potential, and he is really just sort of like pleasantly impressed with Gone's resolve and drive and the way that he progresses. And that kind of like the way that Mifune talks to Blackstar during this fight reminded me of that a little bit where he was basically Blackstar was, was exhibiting that he has grown and become more powerful and a little bit more mature since the last time they ran into each other. And Mifune at one point is like kind of debating with himself a little bit about whether or not Blackstar is still a kid even though he is literally a child, he's basically like, you've grown up, you're kind of an adult now in like your skill level and your maturity. And the way that he kind of appraised Blackstar's growth reminded me of the way that Hisoka is always talking about Gon's potential. Um, Uh It wasn't creepy and sexual, but it did kind of evoke that same sort of like, observing a younger character who has a lot of potential and is really strong and remarking on their progress kind of thing. Yeah. Um, the, the next thing that is going to happen in this episode is a, a pretty sweet fight where um, uh, it's going to become very quickly realize that black star is still completely outclassed by Mifune. Um, he is going to try to take him more seriously. And because of this, he is just going to completely, completely run him over like a train. Um, and before he, uh, before he leaves, they, um, reveal to Mifune that like this other character who's also a kid has been hurt by this organization. They're not a good organization, but he has been caught between a rock and a hard place because he's like the witch is taking over is the only way that my ward is going to be able to survive. So there's nothing I can do. Um, it's, it's, it's weird that he's just like, I must protect every child. But at the same time, he's like, well, if some of them have to die so that my ward can live, it's, it's a little bit ambiguous of like you know, yeah. where his loyalties should actually lie. Yeah, it, it seems. And they, they actually go into his backstory here. So his backstory is essentially that he he sort of comes in fully formed as a very powerful swordsman who has an affinity for protecting defenseless children. We see that he kind of the backstory being how did he become Angela's bodyguard is that he was hired as a a sell sword bodyguard kind of um, mercenary thing for this crime organization. And then they ordered him to go kill this witch. It turns out that the witch was Angela and his desire to protect defenseless children was more important to him than the uh, job that he had been hired to do. So he turned on the organization and became Angela's bodyguard. 
And that, to me, and the way that he acts as a character is basically that his number two priority is to protect children, and his number one priority is to protect Angela specifically. And so it's like, if he can get away with having no children be harmed, he will. But if if there is an inevitable harm coming to a kid, he's going to make sure that that kid is not Angela. Yeah. And the end of the episode is going to, is going to leave Blackstar feeling completely underwhelming. Um, he is going to be, um, basically saying that he's too embarrassed to hold a sword because he should be strong enough um, to to do something without the sword himself, and he is not strong enough to lead up to her real potential, um, which is something Mifune mentions to him, is that with this kind of sword, you must be more powerful than you, should, you currently are. Um, so she's much more advanced than you are, and you need to catch up to her. Um, that will inform some of the things that we'll see in the next episode. Um, but the last thing that's going to happen is that Sid is going to completely detonate this entire base on his way out. Yeah, it's a pretty successful mission as far as they go because they've destroyed the machine um, and also they've been able to, I think they steal the Book of Abos, Abon. Um, no, they have it already. The Book of Abon is, is going to, they, they take the, uh, the schematics for it. Yeah. Um, but the Book of Avon is actually in Lord Death's private uh, library. Okay. I, I must have missed that. But uh, yeah, they, mm-hmm. the arachnophobia at least had some access to some of it and they don't anymore. So that's pretty important. Um, yeah. So I think that pushes um, us into 29, doesn't it? Yeah. Episode 29 is Medusa's Revival, A Sister and Snake, A Fateful Reunion. Um, this one, uh, there's, there's two storylines that are happening. Um, one of them I'm going to go over really quickly. It's the most important one that's going to happen. And it happens in like basically three stages. Um, the first one is going to be that uh, Medusa is still alive. She is going to um, take over a dog. Then she is going to um, inhabit that dog to walk up to a little girl. And that little girl is then going to be possessed by one of the snakes. It is um, horrible Medusa. and horrifying. It's, it's really scary and it feels like a horror anime out yeah. of nowhere. Um, it's, it's really well done though. And genuinely creepy. Um, then the, the mother and father are going to be like, our kid is acting a little bit weird, but they're like, no, it's fine. And then at the end of it, uh, the mom is going to be like, you're not my daughter, are you? And Medusa's like, you figured me out, but don't follow me. And then she just like straight up leaves. She also, Um, before that, there's going to be a fairly extended sequence of the mother having nightmares about her little girl. And it is unclear (laughs) if those are nightmares or she's actually kind of seeing past the little girl facade that Medusa is maintaining. Mm-hmm. And it is just happening in such a way that it's easy to write off as a nightmare. It is super creepy. This was like a really unsettling and occasionally horrifying episode. Yeah. The next thing that she is going to do is that uh, she is going to go over to Arachne's base, uh, reveal herself to Arachne. Arachne's going to be like, you and you showed up alone by yourself to my base. I might as well just kill you. Um, yeah, you got some fucking like, no, balls to walk in here. Um, She's like, no, it's fine. And then Medusa's just like leaves and she's like, it'll be fine. But the other stuff that's happening, it, which well, is there, it's my favorite part of it. It's important to note between... why they have this conflict. Because Medusa had to go into hiding 800 years ago because she was being hunted and battling against Lord Death and his team. And then she was betrayed. And she doesn't know who she was betrayed by, but she thinks it was by Medusa. Yeah, this is Arachne, not Medusa, by the way, who's been running the whole time. That's right. And um, so Medusa is like, we should team up because we're sisters and we, you know, have this opportunity caused by the resurrection of Asura. And Arachne is like, I should kill you right now because I think you betrayed me. And Medusa is pretty cool about it and is just kind of smiling her way through it. And it's like, well, you know, I'll see myself out and we will probably team up in the future. And then as Mm -hmm. she leaves, she's being taken out by one of the arachnophobia people who, like we mentioned earlier, is kind of this faceless mask because they all wear long cloaks that obscure their bodies and masks that obscure their faces. And it is revealed that that member of arachnophobia is actually Erica, who's another witch that has become uh, Medusa's 
uh, unwilling servant because Medusa has implanted deadly snakes in her body that will kill her if she disobeys. So Erica yeah. is a mole. Medusa grabs a broom and flies off to return to Death City to retrieve something. And the last thing about her story is that she she explains that she was able to survive basically by shattering her soul and attaching it to a snake. So she should have been killed, but she managed a very risky, complicated spell, essentially, to save herself. And she... It was kind of a gambit. She was banking on the people she was fighting, specifically Stein and um, Spirit, that they would not investigate and make sure that she was fully dead and would be distracted by the revival of Osura, which was true. But she also admits that Osura reviving unleashed this powerful insanity wave and that the spell probably wouldn't have worked without that and therefore probably won't work again if she's forced into another corner. Yeah. So the other thing that is happening is that the DWMA, uh, Stein is trying to teach um, them how to resonate as a group. This is not going to work out well, um, especially because they do not work together at all. He does not do a good job of teaching it, though. Yes. He's like, he gives them no explanation. Yeah. He's like, I need you to resonate as a group. But instead of teaching you how to do it, I think this is better learned through experience. So go ahead and try it. And I just like, you're not going to do anything more than that. <laughs> you're not going to be like, here are some tips. Here's what it should feel like. Here's how it's different. He's just like, ah, give it your best shot. Yeah. Anyways, that's our coverage for this week. Uh, stick with us after the credits and we'll talk about what's happening next time. Um, it, it's probably just going to be us talking about the same Naruto episodes, but don't worry about it. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions. With sound editing done by Rashad English of Plain English Productions. He's our level six sound wizard. Level up. Our podcast is ad free and we want to keep it that way. If you want to keep it that way too, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Follow us on Twitter at B and S Get Jumped. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash get jumped. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Reviews help other listeners find our show. New episodes come out every Sunday on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Buzzsprout, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And hey, Thanks for listening. Next time on Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. In light of the recent edition of The Politician on Netflix, we will be doing a Ryan Murphy retrospective with some episodes of Glee and American Blake, Horror Story. Like, huh? like we're we we gotta get back to the actual shows. I'm sorry, everybody. We'll we'll try to not do this again. What are we doing?